Hey guys, Brian here. I uh, just wanted to jump in real quick before the show starts and say uh, we had some weird internet outage. It wasn't just us, it was like across the country. There was a bunch of internet outages uh, and it caused Discord to act really strange. We changed servers like four times. Two of those were lot, two or three of those were while we were recording. And our guests just. They lost connection, they dropped out, they were sounding robotic, and there's not a thing we can do about it. So I just wanted to jump on and say sorry about the uh, the odd audio issues you're going to hear tonight uh, with, this, uh, with this podcast. But it was a really great show, and I hope you still enjoy it, and thank you for listening. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I am all... Always is your co-host, Brian, and joining me as always is your co-host, Jim. Yeah, I'm taking spice leave in the spice hall. <laughs> totally. It's gonna be a lot of Dune. There's gonna be a lot of Dune references tonight, y'all. Just no, dude. It's it's like it's right here. I can go to the spice leave. You pay a crew to take relaxing leave time in the spice hall. That's yeah, true. That, that's that's true too. That's pretty relaxing. Uh, Get also- them all spiced up down there. <laughs> If if you got a crew of all women, would they be the Spice Girls? Well, that's what I was thinking. Sorry. I was trying to remember. Sorry, things, right? It's oh, like that's baby, a pun we baby Spice, <laughs> baby Spice, the hot one. Uh, and then there's, there's like posh baby, um, uh, scary, um, sporty, sporty. Wow. And uh, it's the last one. There's five of them, right? Ginger. Is it ginger? Isn't it? I think you're right. No. No, I think you're right. Hi, everybody. She uh, was the redheaded. Also one. joining <laughs> us is your co-host Spass. Hello, and uh, folks, we have a guest. We have guests this week. Oh, where are you guys from? Where are you guys in the world? I, I, I didn't get. It. I didn't figure that out. Where are you guys in the world? Andrew, We're both on the East Coast. Oh, okay. Uh, and Philly. Philly, what up? Um, Jeet yet? I'm not sure. Indiana is East Coast, but. It's close enough. Uh, well, you're kind of in between time zones too, right? So you could exist at any point in time or space. That's true. How far from Pawnee are you? Anyway, uh, joining us from apparently Philadelphia, my old town, and Indiana are the Trees Brothers, Andrew and Corey, to talk about uh, Star Traders Frontiers. Welcome back, gentlemen. Good Thanks for having us. Oh, oh my pleasure. Because you guys... I want to talk all about your amazing early access period. Guys, if you don't know, uh, Star Traders Early Access hit, hit early access. Star Traders Frontiers hit early access. Was it early this year or late last year? It was around that time. I think it was early this year. Yeah. Right? It was like right, right after, because we gave them the go ahead to launch. <laughs> and then after, because they were on, it was January 2nd, we determined. Uh, so, so probably yeah, the we week our, after that. We got our thumb on the button. Um, after a pretty successful Kickstarter. Yes, right. So late last year, early this year, the game went to early access. And then you guys updated it 60 times. Or how many updates did you guys do during early access? During early access, we had 88 updates. We're our fingers on the button for update 100. We just paused um, to have this quick podcast. So, so the game was actually that broken that you had to patch it a hundred times. Well, the thing so, is, yep. it, it wasn't just bug fixes, though. It's 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 it's, every, it's additions. It's balancing. Like 
The, these updates Dude, are never insane. We don't count bug fixes. If it's a hot patch that's hot fix that's just doing patches, we don't actually. Oh, really? So it doesn't get a number. There's a there are a whole bunch of patches in there that never got a number. Really? I didn't yeah. know. That. I think about twenty. That's how broken. Like, oh my god. And uh, folks, I apologize. Discord seems to be having some issues tonight. We've out, we've already switched servers. And I'm getting some internet uh, weirdness, and our guests seem to be cutting out a little bit here and there. I apologize for that. Uh, I'm going to switch servers one more time. Hang on. All right, we switch servers one more time. Hopefully that'll fix it. Sometimes Discord does this, folks, especially on Tuesdays when the internet likes to take a dump. Um... Because Steam likes to take a dump on the internet. Uh, so you're almost at update 100. And there were 88 just during early access. So that's, that's what, about 10 a month? Roughly? That's a few, yeah. It's a scary, yeah. It's a scary amount. 10 a month, yeah. We, were, so you get, we, we had a fun little average running. It was two, one every 2.91 days. Oh my god! <laughs> That's yeah. this is how we've always done it. So for us, it's sort of uh, it's sort of how we've always done it. We're just used to being quick, and we have a very short planning cycle every week, and we plan what we're going to get done that week, and then we just try to hammer out updates. So, so is what you do in the art, or do you outsource that? It's a mixed bag at this point. I do story and art, um, so I do some of the art, and then we outsource to a team. Okay. So, yeah, guys, the audio is yeah, cutting out again. Hang on one second. I'm going to try this one more time. I apologize. This is ridiculous. One second, please. Oh, great. Now it's Now it's not even... Okay, there it goes. Jesus Christmas. So, I'm sorry. Discord is really being an ass tonight. I'm really sorry, guys. Yeah, so the... Yeah, well, I'm I'm just... I'm looking at the art here, and, uh, like, I went into my ship status screen, and there's there's so many icons, and I don't know what to do. There's a lot of... (laughs) There's a lot of stuff in this ship. But that's the the thing with this game, right, is is it's... uh, there's things in here that remind me of like pen and paper role playing stuff. Like when you're traveling and all your crew is making skill checks to make sure they didn't like leave their curling iron on and burn down the ship or whatever. Um, and then whenever you get into the, the actual like construction of the ship itself and I'm looking at the stats stuff here and it's, and it's, uh, it's number heavy. Right. But it's, it just feels like this, I, I could go out and buy like a, a pen and paper role-playing game that's, you know, like, are you, are you to that point? Have you, have you written enough of this that you could just like throw it on paper and, and it's ready to roll? Cause it sure feels that way. Although like nobody could probably juggle this amount of math, you know, at the kitchen. That would be the challenge. Yeah. You'd have to roll a thousand dice. <laughs> all, all Alexa roll all of the dice. All of the dice. Consult seven hundred in the dice rolling manual for the table of probabilities. Oh yeah, that that game was called Rollmaster by Iron Crown Enterprises. 
Was there a game? Was <laughs> there space, a game that did that? Space Master was. Oh my God! Yes, it, it's. What? Uh, we won't go down that rabbit hole too far, but there was. We called it Chart Master. It was like, okay, well, you're using a longsword, so open the book to the. You open Arms Law to the longsword table, and then he's wearing chainmail, which is armor type ten. So you roll on column ten of the longsword table with your percentage, and then see what number you get, and then you take that over to the damage table, and apply, you know, like. Well, what what kind of damage is it? Well, it's it's uh, slash damage, and then oh, well, so you rolled over a sixty six. That means you get a critical. So you go to the slash criticals table, and then you roll again, and then add the modifiers that came off of the other chart. Dear God, I'm not even making this up. Dear God, it, nope. it was <laughs> that, that game. That game was donkulous. Yeah, there's a, a Tolkien uh, universe uh, set in that system and it was very much that yeah the the like how was that fun <laughs> the gateway drug to that was merp which was middle earth role playing and and it was like it was like basic D, and then you went up to chart master which was advanced D. but the, they made a space game though that was that was called space master and it was the exact same rules uh in space and it and it was uh, kind of a setting, kind of like this here, where it was it was like a not Star Wars, not Star Trek, sort of a like a Dune traveler sort of thing. You know, it was kind of doing its own thing, but you could you could kind of make whatever you wanted in it. Like there was replicants, there was you know everything that they could lift from sci-fi. So so guys, well, we, I'll say oh, the the first ahead. game that Andrew and I made was a pen and paper board game. Like that's where we learn to design games was making paper role-playing games for our mm. friends to play. So I think a lot of the facility that you're kind of detecting in some of the things that we really like about computer role-playing games comes from a background of like playing games based on pen and paper, like the gold box games. And like you said, like traveler games like elite and so on. Mm. Uh, so I think we we hold you know pen and paper games near and dear to our hearts, and when we well, the, make computer games. Well, shows. the thing that that uh, amazes me about it, just the the little that I've because I dove back into it today, and I thought, yeah, I'll just I'll play a couple hours of this, and you know I'll be ready to talk. And it's just kind of like just looking at the different screens and and the tutorial stuff. Like the last time, whenever I played it, I got through the, that whole intro mission thing and I haven't even hit that yet because I'm just looking at all the changes that went on here and how much more depth is going on. And, you know, it's, I, I'm digging it definitely. Um, but once, once you get through that, that first mission, well, I, I kind of to the point of what I was going to say though, uh, the depth of the pen and paper role-playing thing is not just like roll a bunch of dice. You know, it's like we're playing FTL and you just find out like I shot the guy who died, you know what? Um, But it's not just resolution mechanics because you have these conversation trees that are in here and it's not BS conversation. Like, you know, go, go and fetch me 10 rat tails and come back. And then I will give you, you know, this, note that you can take to the other guy that that kind of quest stuff but it's actually like where you have the arbiter coming on the ship and it depends you know how did you treat her and you have several options about how you can express your personality in that and it seems that they kind of take note of how you talk to people and then that will influence relationships down the road 
So you're kind of Absolutely. like you're building, you know, it's, it's like you start out with a clean slate and then you're kind of building a reputation of attitude around this person. And then as you go on through the game, I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people treat me differently because of how I act and my, not just my actions, but my words have consequences. So that's a lot of that sitting around the kitchen table, you know, like doing the actual role-playing thing, not just like beating orcs with dice. So I, I very much. That. I think, you know, one thing that good game masters do is they take notes and they don't necessarily know where that is going to go, but they keep it in their head. And I think that's something that we're doing constantly is, Recording the decisions you're making in those decision trees, keeping in mind that maybe down the road, you know, Callaghan Fane's great grand nephew will either have an axe to grind with you or be your friend based on, you know, how well you treated his his grand uncle two generations before. So there's a lot of uh, there's a lot in those dialogue trees that we're just asking the player to participate mm-hmm. and Later, later stories will, you know, make that more significant. Well, and it's not like a Bioware dialogue tree where it's like, do I say the good guy thing or the bad guy thing? It's just like, no, I got four things I could say here, and and they all you know, feel I, really I, natural too. All the, all the yeah, responses and, feel really natural. Yeah, and it, and it's not like you know I can choose like, do I want to antagonize this guy a little bit, or do I want to kiss his ass or or what, and sometimes the ass kissing thing doesn't really get you the response that you'd think, you know, cause they can be like, quit, quit trying to ass kiss me. So, <laughs> you know, um, so I, I, I like that, that that stuff's going on. And it's a thing where I actually like whenever I, whenever I play, um, I recently went back to final fantasy online cause there's a bunch of us that are playing it and I have not read a single quest in that game yet. And I'm like level 30 and, it, and it's just like, Oh yeah, yeah. Click, click, click. What do you want me to do? All right. Go get go get rat tails. All right, I'm off. And there's no point in reading it, you know. And I don't really make a decision. I'm just doing this delivery quest crap. And in here, I I have a choice right off the bat. You know, it's like uh, the arbiter. Hey, you want to get on my ship? And I can be like, yeah, no, I don't want to get involved in that. And and I haven't taken that option because I kind of like that story, but. I assume I can just take that option and just be like, nope, I'm out of here and just ditch that entire quest line. Yeah. And she gets a ride from someone else. Uh, she's a little salty, you, but she's, uh, she's still interested maybe in collaborating with you, but you have to seek her out again on a distant. Um, so there's, you know, that, that's something that I think is, is important for star Trader sandbox nature that you can just bail on the story at any point. So does it give you opportunity to actually kill important NPCs that, you know, it's, it's just like, Oh, well I just locked myself out of that chunk of the game because I killed that guy. I think that's coming. Yeah. There are already a couple of cases of that though. Like Corey was saying with some of the dialogue things right now, it may, you may not see the story, the future story that you're locking yourself out of, Mm. Um, but there are big places where you can um, kill seminal characters there's a lot of places i think more right now where you can help or hinder a character who will be recurring as the eras continue to be added Mm -hmm. Uh, and 
there are a couple of places where there are characters who are wearing plot armor that you can't, though you can really kind of weaken their ability to take action by reducing their influence. You can't get rid of them yet right. because they're reserved for something they may need to do in the future. Destiny. Destiny, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, if they never get in a ship, I can't shoot them down. So. Well, I wanted to. You know, I, I kind of wanted to. Ex- I kind of wanted to expand on this interesting idea because we're talking about dialogue choices, but it's not only there that you make interesting choices. It's when you talk to your crew, as well. But one of my favorites is when you're doing missions, and there are multiple ways you can end a mission. Like, oh, we'll do it in a bar, or oh, we'll have a parade, or. <laughs> Like, how did that yeah, you know, come to be? Because I love that. And the only other game that touches anything like this is Battletech, because it too is a crew management sim to a degree. And, you yeah, know, it's, it's a like, fantastic game. God, so good. Yeah. I love that game. As do I. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, as, you do. As does Spaz to the tune of how many hours? 352 hours. Several hours. Oy. And I imagine counting. Get it. Yeah. If well, you could the, somehow get Battle Mechs into No Man's Sky, we would never see Spaz again. <laughs> that That is a very, very likely possibility if that ever happened. But how, but how did you guys come up with all those fascinating choices for resolving a mission? And I like when they can go wrong. Like, I think I tried to have a parade and it, like, I failed my role and it didn't work out. <laughs> I failed the mission. So we've built, this is our eighth game, so we've built mission systems and contact systems into a lot of our other games and have been doing this underlying proc-gen kind of approach for a long time. So that actually comes from our, I think it's our second game. Cyber Knights had this same approach to missions that really the a lot of the mission decision was at the end point and exactly how you wanted to approach it. And within that approach would be different skills, different abilities and specialties and then it had a a wide variety of success and fail capabilities so that you don't it avoids that like get me the rat tails feeling that you're there and you can say yeah i want to go i want to march up to the palace with a prisoner and embarrass them publicly and i'm going to get paid more for doing that but i'm going to also trade off a loss of reputation because i've kind of pissed in their face with this kind of public act I love that, um, by the way. I love that you can do that. <laughs> I've so wanted you know, to do that on the last the time. The thing I that occurs like to that. me is that the the system that you guys have for conversations with NPCs and actual like stories that are going on and the choice to participate in it or not. And if you don't, it's still gonna happen just without your influence. Right. Things things will go on and the universe kind of moves forward and and whatever. Now, if if I could get you guys into frontier developments for an afternoon (laughs) so that you could sit down with Mr. Braben and explain how to save elite because it's too late, dude, it's too late for elite. The universe is too big. It's just too big. Well, yeah, but they no, they just need to bring it down to the core worlds. There's only like I agree. They need to they they need to cut out 80 to 90 percent of the game. And make the re- other ten percent interesting. Well, no, I mean all that stuff can still be out there, but if you want to, if you want to actually have a meaningful conversation with somebody, well, here's those ten planets, you know, and they've already got that there because they got their whole faction power play. Sorry, system, guys, we we which, we can't. Yeah. we're we're so 
Oh my god, we love and hate elite, and so it comes up all yeah, the time it, because well, the, the sim side is great, oh, and then yeah. the whole the whole interacting with anything in the world it's is just the bad so part. boring. So it's just so well, they, useless. well, they tried to they tried to have like here where we're where we're talking about like you can decide you're going to march up to the palace and confront the guy or whatever, and it and it's just it's conversation trees, right? You know, it's it's not like we have to have a giant pile of assets and actually like render this out in three. So you can just have that, right? And what they do is uh, for their power play thing, it's like, oh, do I want this faction? to take over some worlds from that other faction. Well, I'll pick up a, a couple of pallets of leaflets of oh, propaganda, oh and then we're going to take them over there and just deliver them to the space station at that planet. As and if, if we deliver like, enough pallets of propaganda, then their allegiance will As flip. if it's like an airdrop over Berlin. You know, yeah, exactly. Nice. It's, a, <laughs> it's it exactly that's that. All it takes. <laughs> it's letter bombing. Yeah, it's... But, it's certainly but, one of the areas where we... Uh, ran into some of the most design challenges, but have found that the results have been the most rewarding. They it's really like have a, a ragged edge between the proc gen and the story. And that it's not easy to make them kind of merge in the story to deal with whatever the proc gen comes up with. The story has to kind of roll along with it. Um, so we're very, very happy with that kind of the results. So is it, is it kind of two systems? Is it kind of two systems working concurrently? Is it like the story system that tracks your progress through whichever storyline you're in, plus, as you call it, the proc gen system that tracks like other quests and other contacts and things like that? Are they like working side by side to keep each other in check? Yeah. You're probably better. You're probably right to call it a, a simulation instead of a proc gen. I don't know, but that's fair. Uh, yeah. So there is the the simulation of the universe and all the contacts and all the factions and their global or galactic, you know, brouhaha that they're having and kind of overlaid on top of that is a separate story system. The story system checks stuff in the simulation all the time to be able to sort of make decisions. Like if you don't participate in the arbiter story, what happens next? It needs to go and kind of like look at the, the simulation and figure out what should be what the result should be. The result may so players who are who may have played through that story, maybe the result always looks the same, but the story then goes and writes values back into the simulation. So they like trade over this pipeline information so that they can influence each other. We like just, to think of it as a match between the between the two. Yeah, because as from at least from my perspective as a player, it feels really seamless. I just feel like he's got a, a entire room in his house that's like scribbles on the wall and pins <laughs> and strings, and that's how this got designed. Because oh, that has shit. to be a hell of a web of of case statements or of, how uh, Google document diagrams. To be honest, so many of them. I don't even understand most. Honestly, it looks like the crazy person's wall of pins and strings. You just look <laughs> like what? How many arrows are coming out of this box? And it's like, don't me. <laughs> so, how do you database this? I mean, do you do you actually have some sort of database structure that's that's kicking in the background, or do you just keep it all in in a, an object array, or what? Uh, it's in a, it's in a database. Um, we have a, a data database that stores like the 
narrative baseline. We have a state database that stores like the current conditional filters for what's off. That's that's amazing because I mean it always feels like something's happening in the universe, like other ships are going by and and you're meeting. Have you had like your favorite contact get assassinated by like, a prince yet? No, not yet. Oh my god, my favorite. Because every contact, like Andrew was talking about plot armor, but every contact gets a turn when you're flying through space. They're buying rumors, supporting conflicts, murdering each other. What? Helping their friends. Every oh. contact that you see, even the ones you don't know, get a tree every few seconds. They get to oh, dear. spend influence, kill, and so on. You can see the news in the spice hall if you're like, what's been happening? You can see like oh, is that all what the that's things ab- they've been doing. Is that what that's about? Yeah, that's just... all the contact AIs. Because little bees. I love missions, and I love that the contacts are all varied and give you different types of missions. And and so I just find, oh look, like I've barely done any of the story because I keep finding new contacts. Like, oh, what do you want me to do? You want me to do spying? Ooh, that sounds fun. I'll do that for a while. Well, they're likely spying on a particular planet because their enemies lives there, and if they get influence, they're going to try and like put a. Riot, a, a riot on that planet to block the other contact because if there's a riot planet they can't take a turn which oh is like God. one of the big goals of, of enemy contacts is like suppressing their fr- their enemies influence and increase influence of their friends so wait there's an there there's an there's an ai game of intrigue going on while you're flying around doing things for the ai yeah Oh and, and the player doesn't really even need about it. It just it makes the universe feel a lot more realistic to us. Yeah. It makes the universe mean a lot more. Yeah. So if one it, of so our if that early, contact, go ahead. With that contact gets assassinated, and you stop and talk to somebody that knew them, you know, do they do they does it come up in conversation like, "Hey, did you hear about Bob? They offed him," you know, or what? We're um, we're working on um, some more. Like dialogue and story based responses mm. to contact death. We've had some really kind of cool suggestions from within the player base that if you, for example, went to a world where contact was that they died, you could visit a visit a gravesite or just you know kind of recognition for people that go. Right now, it's pretty quiet. You get a log entry. Any missions they've given you disappear, and mm. you can oh, see crap. about their death in this in the news in the news section. Oh. Like their friends are like grow a hatred for the killer. Like that AI will say, "You killed, and therefore I hate you, and I'll try to kill you back." Wow! But in terms of like dialogue trees and special like dialogue recognition, and that's one of the things that we continue to work is is on that mesh, right? That's like the narrative aspect of the story blending with the simulation. And sometimes that can be a challenge because. The simulation has so many rich states coming up with descriptive, readable English like Bob, Jenny, I'm sad is kind of hard. We we have a lot of mutations there, but that's something we definitely want to get to. Yeah, one thing as a player, I look to, you know, it's like, okay, this stuff could be going on in the news. And if I'm just not looking at the news or I don't connect things because it's like, well, I didn't know that guy or I don't remember the name of whoever somebody was right so it it would be really interesting 
like, and the more friendly of terms you are with a leader, when you talk to them, like the more forthcoming with info they should be. But I wish there was a button that was just like, what's, what's the picture, right? Like explain the landscape from your point of view to me, like, who do you hate? Who do you like? What's going on? What are your concerns? Right. And, and, you know, like, uh, like to put it in, in Dune terms, right? Like if, if I like land and I talk to Baron Leto and, and I'm like, Hey, so what's going on? And he's like, Oh yeah, well, we're leaving Caladan. We're going to Dune. We got trouble with the emperor and you know, these factions are against us. And of course, you know that we hate the Harkonnens. And of course, you know, we're, we're worried about intrigue and stuff and they've murdered a couple of our agents recently is the last news item that you should have seen or something like that, where it's just kind of like, I can get an empire summary from each of these little empires where they actually explain it. Like I'm five rather than I go to a stat table and kind of infer, you know, like, okay, these guys are minus four points to those guys or, or whatever. If they would just explain it like, yeah, we hate those guys and we got reasons, but we love these guys. So if you go do missions for those guys, we'll like you too. Cause that, that's just an awareness problem that I always have in games that are, that have multiple interacting factions is I can never ask a faction like, well, where do I stand with the faction and where does this faction stand on the map here? Like who are your neighbors and what's your relationships? And they never really put anything in the, to explain it, I guess, cause it's probably hard. Well, in, in the Star Trek Frontiers, if you check the factions menu, you can see that I think the, the challenge of making it that clear is that it's always changing. So um, the politics are very petty and mm. they come and they go. And the legal case, legal system, retribution justice creates this sort of like short bubble conflicts like solar wars, spy wars that pop up. Mm-hmm. They're not always consistently. Well, there are some long, long running hatreds between people. Peace comes and war starts again. So that's a place to look, certainly. Yeah. And well, we, but I think I think it's a a really good direction that we want to try and go. We've been working on simpler systems like the crew, they can talk to you about their traits like, hey, I'm wounded, take me to the doctor, or I'm greedy, I want more money. They just kind of pepper you with that stuff. And I think that's kind of a precursor to something like the the ability to really have a discussion with the with a contact where they say, hey, I just killed Bob. Aren't you trying me? Because I use assassins and I'm a pirate overlord. Uh and how's that measuring? Like the ability to talk to them in the system is definitely something that I think would help further bridge the the gap between narrative and the simulation. And I think it's a really potent storytelling aspect that brings that brings potentially brings the station a whole nother level forward and further blurs the line the things that Andrew is building in terms of narrative and the stories that the simulation is telling you. Hmm. Well, I, I guess the, the first thing that I would want to be able to ask one of these leaders is, you know, like, what is your, what is your win condition? Like, what, what are you attempting to accomplish? You know, you, you've, you've got some goal. Um, and then that's very informative about, you know, what they want. You know, it's, it's like, well, 
I, I want to wipe out those guys. That's my thing. Or we're here just to get rich or secure our position or expand the empire. You know what, like what, what are these guys actually thinking? Like what, what does, uh, does everybody just want to kind of maintain or are they looking at, at like influencing or do they want to actually like invade somebody else's planet or like what, what kind of goals are you setting for your AI rulers? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It would be an interesting way to look at it. The traits that they have, uh, you know, influence, but m- more than anything, their goals are survival and act of power for the most part. Some of them are more balanced towards survival than position of power kind of depends. If you're a starport mechanic, you're probably not around trying to allocate yourself a, a new title or rise to the title of prince. You're more likely just trying to keep your starport running additionally, um, bring in some external help. Mm. Yeah, because it, it seems like the game in the, you know, you're, it, it's a thing that, I, that I've often wanted is like there's this living universe around me, right? It's like I'm in a game of Crusader Kings 2. There's all this politics and stuff going around, and I could stop and talk to somebody and be like, "Hey, what's going on around town?" And they can tell me like the latest gossip about their point of view politics. You know, like power has changed this way, that way. This guy died. You know, there's there's these story events here. Here's like things that you would have read in the news, but I can just repeat them because we're having a conversation, and maybe you missed them in the news. Um, that that kind of deal that impacts us here on this planet, and. But it's not like I have to make those decisions for those people. I can just be aware that this stuff's going on, right? And they could, like, a lot of things in games where they'll give you, like, a rumor, like, hey, you know, there's, like, pirates over in this sector. It's dangerous. Be careful over there. And it's like, well, do you want me to do something about it? You know, how concerned are you about it? You know, is is this, like, a quest thing or is this just info kind of deal? Um, but it, But it's the thing of, like, if I'm, instead of being the leader Right where it's like, okay, I have my kingdom in Crusader Kings, and then I have to survive against all the other people that are vying for power and all this family tree stuff and ascension and, and all that. I, I'm not the leader. I'm just one of the people that has to live in that. In, you know, I'm swimming in the ocean with those fish, um, and that's very interesting because you can influence it or not. You know, you can just sit back and let it happen. You know, it's like, hey, that's too hot for me. I'll, I'll just sit over here, but it's, uh, it's interesting to see like the political motives of, you know, it's like, well, this guy is known for wanting to take over territory and that guy just wants to get rich and you know, that kind of thing. So if you're handing the, the AI goals like that, that, you know, it's, it, I, I assume that you give them sort of a personality that is it a fixed thing. Like this guy is always going to be that way because you know, he, he's like, Bob Rogers and Bob Rogers is always this personality or does it, does that get randomized some? Most of the story personalities have a fixed story. Characters have a fixed personalities or the ones created by the simulation are a, a mix of four contact traits. So, Mm -hmm. but they're mostly minor people though, right? Uh, I mean, that's all the way up to high princes and princes and things. So even those characters are generated by the sim. And then, so they maybe maybe have a high prince, and in this game, he's um, corrupt, and he has an obsession with technology, 
uh, and but he's well respected because he keeps his corruption hidden, and he's and he's generous. a drunk. Or he's a drunk or a spice addict or something. So those drive the types of missions he offers and what type of actions he will take and are mm. basically that combined with his type, his princeliness generally and his faction kind of that creates his AI matrix that's going to they're going to push what he has as his individual goals. Mm. So oh. once I've played for a while and I've you know, do, do I choose an allegiance? Like, okay, I'm going to help these guys out and I'm going to help them win. Is there actually a win condition to these things or is it just a perpetual, you know, it, it tries to seek to balance itself and then the universe just goes on and you can perpetually. Cause I look at like power creep, right? As, as I play the game, I get more money. I get a bigger ship. Eventually I'm flying the death star around. And you know, it, 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 at that point I I'm kind of a kingmaker. Right. Because it's like I, I show up with my fleet and it's like, you know, lay down your guns because pirate pirate Jim is here. <laughs> you know? We had some um, pretty exciting, like, uh, I don't know, imbalances in the simulation during I think that was an alpha Corey where there were some players who were finding that if they teamed up with a contact who had a certain set of traits, like they were violent and um, vindictive and dangerous schemer. And if they empowered those people and got them up to about a hundred influence that they would go on a rampage. We had, we had players turn in games that had like almost no other contacts left in the universe because these murderous contacts that they were serving were like killing everyone else. So we've, (laughs) uh, we've tried, we're like, we have done things to keep balance so that the simulation doesn't fall off the edge of the map, but Hmm but the game is designed to be an endless sandbox. So um, there's a lot to do and your allegiance is probably more about your actions over a long period of time, as opposed to a single, like I swear allegiance to these guys, right? Uh, Allegiance is earned. It's not ever given. So you would earn that by blowing up a thousand enemy ships or whatever it might be. And then you have garnered this reputation. That's hard to lose and will stick with you, but Mm -hmm. makes you potentially hated by others. Now, I wanted to ask about the the different gameplay mechanics, because there's... It feels like there's multiple games here. Basically, you have the the space flying around trading game, then you have the space combat game, and then you have the boarding combat game, but then you also have the the planetary card game, (laughs) where uh, you have spying or blockading or exploring... And I don't remember the earlier games having all those varied game modes. So how did you, like, not only come up with all these different modes, but get them to all to work together? Well, a big part of starting the project was that we kind of listed out the professions that we wanted to make sure had um, completely full kind of core game loops. So pirate and spy, bounty hunter, smuggler, explorer, merchant. Uh, There's a long list of them, actually. Um, Pretty sizable list. So, And then we tried to make sure one of our design goals was to ensure that there is a big, meaty part of the game where you can be completely self-sufficient doing that. You can build a ship that's great at that. You can make a crew that is good at that. If that's all you wanted to do, you could truly just be an explorer and be mighty and rich 
But if you mix some smuggling in, you might be able to sell your explore the things you're finding from exploring like at a plus 25% profit or way more if you're good at it. So by kind of creating those starter silos and then making sure that they could cross pollinate, I think is how we got to where we are today, which lets you do, you can be everything if you want to yeah, try. You can but be. But it's, it's difficult to be a spy, explorer, merchant, smuggler, pirate. <laughs> you probably best to do like, you know, the bounty hunter, your pirate is a great combo or the merchant smuggler, the explorer smuggler. There's some really good mixes, but you have, in some cases you have 30 to 40 people on your ship. So you can do, you can build some specializations within that crew without sacrificing the other specializations. Yeah. See the, the RP thing that attracted me is like, I can roll a pirate and I have all my contacts or my old pirate buddies, but I'm I've decided to go clean. I'm going to get into politics now mm-hmm. and, yeah, and I'm going to exactly. leave my piracy life behind because I don't need the law chasing me or, or whatever. But yet all of my contacts are these uh, shady characters, <laughs> right? So it's like, well, okay. So that that's my personal way that I'm approaching the game is like, how can I use those guys to actually be influenced in what I really want to do? You know, can I, can I turn that into uh, like a more noble thing, um, you know, because because uh, it's like I'm power seeking, not riches seeking, at that point. And it, you know, the way the mutation system for your crew works, I've got games from players who are like, I'm a merchant now because eighty percent of my crew is terrified of Xenos, and they tried to be an explorer in dangerous places, and they mutated so many traits that their crew just can't can't deal. They don't want to fire everyone, but they're all terrified of Xenos. They all have flags. A bunch of them are crippled and combat scarred, and they're like, we've adopted a life of peace. For 50 years, we explored the wilds, and we made our wealth about this beautiful ship, and now we just trade, you know, we trade clothing, we trade fuel, <laughs> we go around, we make new friends, but we don't, we don't go back to terrible wild zones, and we never press the explore button because the crew loses 50 more every time I go down there. Oh my yeah. god. We're just, we're just taking a little PTSD break. We'll be right back. That's that's amazing. But you for your for the character that you start as a pirate, your crew will come out as a bunch of misfits, um, merciless, bloodthirsty, greedy, all these lovely things. And if you go off and live a life of peace and politicking and don't blow people up, those characters will mutate traits that mirror what you're doing. So you will. Oh, so they don't get the, They don't get itchy and just say, "All right, I'm leaving." Like well, some of them may. Like well, out. Some of them may. The bloodthirsty ones, merciless, may, merciless. Yeah, that's what it is. May might have to space a few. Yeah, they the ones that truly are like opposed to your way of uh, spacing may de- desert on their own, or yeah. just lose so much morale that they're you just fire them. Um, so but I I seem to remember. In, well, I seem to remember when we talked back in January, there was some discussion about mutiny. So can you can your crew just finally get sick of your shit and toss you out the airlock? It's not that simple, but they do get very sick of your shit and will try to kill you. Yeah. Um, Whoa. Yes. Well, it would be interesting if they stranded you on a planet and then they take off with your ship and then you can run into that ship later. And 
mean, you know, it's like I've got a I've got another ship, and, and I mean, you can oh, probably no, make no, that. Now I've ran into my old scurvy dogs. You could probably make that pretty easy by not paying them, or or yep, that's not paying them is a quick way to get to mutiny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, yeah. But also but buying fuel. I think I think the marooning would be pretty hilarious. Actually, R- reminds me of that uh, that game defect that we had on, where so, it's like. You're, you're gonna you're gonna have your ship like taken right. from you, and then in the next combat you have to figure out. So you always build a ship with an Achilles heel, so you can kill it because you know you're gonna have to fight it in the next oh, level. Wow. Huh. That was a great game. Yeah, it was. Now this is the fourth game in this series. Am I am I remembering that right? I guess five. Five would be right. Five, because there was. Okay, so there was the yeah. first mobile game. And then Some was, of them are pretty old. Yeah, a lot of them are quite old. Because there was the f- mobile game, and then there was the 4X game, and then there's Templar Battle Force, which is in this universe. What, um, is there another one that I'm forgetting? Yeah, it's a really old mobile game called Templar Assault, which is a oh. spiritual predecessor to Templar Battle Force. About seven years old. Yeah, that's, that's right. You guys do have mechs in this universe. Yeah. Mm. Templar Battle Force, by the way, all great. Great XCOMI fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're one mech bay away from competing with BattleTech here. You yeah, just the art team. The art team's working on it, so we'll get there. <laughs> oh God! You Eventually, heard it here, folks. Yeah. All right. I'll I'll know. I'll tell Gettleman to look over his shoulder. You're coming for him. But I, I was wondering, is, is that why this universe feels so rich? It's because you've had all these iterations to build upon it. I like to think that the that the earlier games have have really helped build out the lore and give us a solid foundation. We're able to make a lot of decisions based on things that we've already felt were successful players, which I think really helps. You know, sometimes sequels can trap you in the things that have come before, but I feel like uh, for us, it's been a really a positive to have that existing foundation. Yeah, because I played so much of the first mobile game, the Star Traders Elite, on like three different phones. I've played the hell out of that, <laughs> the hell out of that game. And this game just feel this new one, Star Traders Frontiers, feels like just such a natural extension of of that earlier game. You know, it just feels like everything's bigger, everything's more, everything's expanded. You know, so it's really it's been amazing to see the evolution of this universe through these games is basically what I'm trying to get at. I'm just impressed. Sorry, go ahead. It's been really fun to build. Oh, (laughs) yeah. The audio is getting weirder. Oh my God. Hang on. I'm going to switch servers again. One second. Sorry, folks. One second. Let's try that one. <laughs> Are you guys on Wi-Fi or something, or like shy of bandwidth? I, I don't know. It's it's weird because we're not roboting, but you guys are. Yeah, it's 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 a it's one of the trials and tribulations of doing it live, my friends, is that we get technical foibles like this. So apologies <laughs> for the audio quality of this one. 
So have you have you fig- have you um, talked to the fans and figure out like what's the most popular combination of uh, career and stats that uh, most people have been playing so far? There was a fan project at one point to track it. We have our own internal numbers. Um, Corey just dropped. Uh, it's a it's but quite a mix. We've seen everything from you know we look at a, a number we call player efficiency as the game is actually gets harder every turn. So not every turn, but like over time, as thousand turns pass, the difficulty tips ticks up. So there's this curve that you have to chase. And you can fall behind it. So for us, player efficiency is the player who is gaining experience, money, power faster than that curve. Um, but we haven't seen any really clear pattern as to what is most successful for people. Um, there's merchant, like true peaceful merchants, especially those that focus on making everyone like them have been very successful. We also have seen crazy things like giants, spaceships, armed to the teeth with fighting men and women that have no weapons and they only like sail up to everything and board and board and board until the enemy crew is dead every time. Um, so it's, there's a crazy variety of what people are up to out there. Uh, so we haven't seen any really strong patterns in the data that we have. We get a lot of save games from players who are always asking for them. And it's, it is Always pretty amazing to see what people are doing. That boarding idea sounds kind of exhausting. Because, <laughs> but amazing. Like, but you'd have to make yeah. sure you'd have to make sure your ship could close to boarding distance fast. Yeah, it's mostly done with like a medium-sized ship and a really good engine. Um, but you've taken all the weapons off, so you've put all of those space, all that those slots in your ship are dedicated to things like nav modules and pilot modules so that you can probably dodge more i mean the people i didn't build the ship it's pretty crazy looking but it definitely closes and i can imagine and they come with boarding talents so these people like have a bunch of special abilities they can use if they win a boarding combat like throwing a bio bomb or like blowing out an enemy weapon some assassins can kill enemy officers or potentially even the enemy captain so there are ways to kind of short circuit that's, make boarding overall faster if you're built for it that's true that's true i'm not built for it i, I try to be a nice guy but then i got people attacking me it's like i'm not trying to bother you leave me alone but some people are mean out there <laughs> Some people are going to attack you. It's just going to happen. So, so you had about a hundred. Um, you had about a hundred updates uh, so far. What would you say is the toughest update you had to uh, make to the game between early access and now? We added a system called Safe Slots right before we went live, before the game launched out of early access. And for us, that was just difficult to decide that that was the right thing to do for the game. We had always thought of the game as a rogue-like and not providing any way to kind of try something. And if you fail, just go back to a save game and try again. Um, And that was the tradition, has always been the tradition of all Star Traders games. But 
with this game, we there's so much that goes into making a character, setting up your crew, setting up your captain that we yeah, found. Yeah, you're talking a, hours. You're talking lots yeah. of choices and people want to yeah. keep that stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. So for us, it was like a little bit of a philosophical, more difficult philosophically than anything else to, to say that, you know what, there are a lot of players who want it and they're right. Even I could, even I play with it now. So it's like one of those things, as soon as you have it, you're like, ah, oh, this is so nice. Why did we resist? So we're very happy to be able to provide that. It took a long time to make it happen. It was some very challenging engineering for Corey. Um, but we were able to get it in right before the game launched. And I had, it's been really well received. We're very glad we did it. It was necessary. I too am glad you for, did it. I too am glad you yeah. did it. Yeah, I'm very, very glad. Because <laughs> I'm a big believer in save often, all the time. <laughs> if I can save manually all the time, I will. So I'm really glad you guys added that option. Oh, man. No, now Discord lost me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't hear a break in you. No, but I just dropped for like half a second and then came back. Uh-huh. Like Discord lost. Getting weird. Discord is really acting weird tonight, you guys. I really apologize. It is usually not. The oh my god! We're, now we're losing our guests. <laughs> oh my god. I just uh, had like a three minute reconnection. So. Oh my god. Yeah. Did did it drop you or did you manually disconnect? Uh, I switched over to my other internet to see if it would help, but I'm still getting crazy packet loss. What mm. the what? Yeah, Discord you do must sound better though. Yeah, a little bit. That's good. That's uh, good. Yeah, but yeah, we apologize. It's there either this. It's like this or on. Skype, and Skype is just horrible. So we we found this is the best thing and the easiest thing for most people to use. But yeah, this is usually great. Yeah, yeah, we use this all the time, and it's usually great. But like some Tuesday nights, because Steam loves to update their back end, it just takes a absolute dump. And it makes no sense. <laughs> and I know it's not me because it's everybody. <laughs> Sometimes it's me. But this time everyone's having issues. So sorry about that. So now that the game is launched, I'm sure people have asked you this. What's next? Well, we have a bunch of uh, expansion packs that we want to release. Um, Seriously? I'm talking like a robot. Yeah, uh, we have two that we definitely know we're going to do. Oh, wow. Uh, one is Orbital. Uh, it's another type of card game that includes like a bunch more jobs. During early access, we launched additional jobs. Um, like the Assassin and... Uh, what was the other one? Sniper. Assassin and Sniper. So there's additional jobs for the Orbital system. And then there's additional jobs and content for fighters. So we're going to be introducing carrier-grade spaceships. What? You can launch, launch fighter wings, run you know, fighter screens in orbit as part of blockades. You can uh, scout landing zones and orbital or scout exploration zones with certain types of craft. So you can get a scout craft or bombers or fighters or interdictor craft and launch them from your ship. And you'll be able wow. to... Uh, Put officers on the craft so they can die, uh, which is you know, what everyone's really excited about. 
I like how that's the reason. Yeah, I thought you were going to say they get a buff or something, but no, so they can die. <laughs> so they can die alone in the void in outer space, and you can warn them and be like, I should never have let Jill go out on her own, and that spider craft I knew was too dangerous. God it was damn. made out of 80% crashium. What could have gone wrong? God damn it, Karen. I told you not to take that shuttle. <laughs> So we're really excited about that. Uh, those are things that were Kickstarter stretch goals. So we knew that we wanted to deliver the core experience first and then see how that played and then add these things that we've been designing. from. We kind of designed them from the beginning, but knew that we wanted to see the game run uh, through early access before we tried to deploy them. So Fighters you know, fits into all the different systems. Like Andrew was saying, the different silos. As we came up with them, we thought, how will fighters fit into explorers? How will they fit into smuggling? How will they fit into, you know, combats, pirates? How do they fit into the spy? So can I can I get a sleek spying craft that helps me really maximize my spying results? Um, can I get a, a durable uh, atmospheric shuttle that will help me pinpoint rich resource veins that I can exploit. So we've thought about how fighters will fit into all of those different professions. And I think that's kind of a big part of our roadmap is those expansions and then additional jobs. We have some plans to raise the level cap. And then there's a bunch of eras like the, there's the council era and then there's the plague. If you've played deeper into the game, there's like a spoiler alert, but there's a horrible plague, uh, can't say exactly where it comes from or why it strikes the galaxy, but Zombies. there's there's a plague. Uh, there's there's some bad bad cults that are on the horizon. There's some mysterious um, individuals sowing seeds of chaos. Uh, so the era system is really um, very important to us because I think it it backdrops that living galaxy. So at the end, the elder gods come back, and then everybody dies. But the winner gets eaten last. Is that? Yeah, I mean the the Terox invasion. There's definitely bad. There's bad things coming in the horizon. How many storylines are in the game? Like I've only seen the one so far with the uh, with this Arbiter. But how many? Like I'm. I've heard there are other storylines. So how many are currently in the game? Well, there's like there's the big arcs, right? Like the Arbiter and the Plague. Uh, and then there's a lot of interrelated smaller arcs like the Deravesh family saga of like the recovery of his artifacts. There's uh, these these smuggler cults that you can deal with. Um, there are some Hana operations that you can you can sort of get involved with. So I would say there's probably twenty or so stories of various size. We'd have to consult Andrew's diagram, and obviously none of us are going to be able to make sense of it. But part of the part of it is they're all interconnected, so sometimes it's hard to say like there's 20 or there's 15 because there's there's a lot of interconnections. And then there's little things we call vignettes. Like if you've ever run into Edge Altman, she stows away on your ship, uh, and there's some hilarious. I think some of the funniest dialogue in the game is your officers being like talking to her and she kind of scamming everyone on board into uh, taking her on as a crew member. So those are kind of shorter 
it's kind of a it's a set of dialogue and decisions you make and traits that you you know decide if you want to have or not have and then kind of you deal with her uh, as a crew member or an officer and that that's kind of what we think of as a vignette it's sort of like a it's an isolated story that happens within the greater context of the game so it's not like she doesn't give you missions you're just kind of deciding uh what you want to do with this character um does she fit into your plans do you want to keep her around for a little while or do you want to promote her to an officer and let this one-time stowaway become your first mate whoa that's okay that's really amazing because because i mean is that one of the harder things to do with a game like this to balance the openness with wanting to tell just one story let alone multiple stories is that like one of the biggest challenges of a game like this yeah, I think I think it's a challenge. Um, can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah you're fine now. We're, we we okay. yeah. Apparently, the internet is something's wrong with the internet tonight. Um, the internet is highly broken because yeah. I posted in the in the streams memes. chat. Yeah, it is. The memes are leaking, uh, but like half the places that they test are dead right now. So there's some kind of big route problem going on. Ugh, gross. Well. I think one of the big challenges is making the game uh, accessible, but also varied and di- and and very divergent from the core experience. So, you we have a problem with too many storylines happening too often or too concurrently or too fast. Like if you read our Steam forums, there's a lot of people being like, "I wanted to find the Dravesh blade." But I got distracted by this stupid smuggling cult, and then I found out that the D-Ravesh people had died. And I, you know, I was disappointed that I didn't get to finish it. Or I was helping the Arbiter, and I didn't get to do this. So it's kind of, it's a challenge to balance the pace that players want it to go at, and also make it feel realistic. I think Andrew and I both suffer some frustration in games where... And NPCs like I need the fifteen rat tails, and you're like, I'll come back in six years. Like you'll still be here, right? And he's like, Yeah, you're the only adventurer that like could get me said rat tails. Like I will wait, like literally to the end of the game, and you're level fifty, and you come back, and you're like, You still need those rat tails? It's like I sure do, you know. And you go get them, and and there's and that to to me that often doesn't feel like it. It does the player a lot of service, like. You know, I and and there's, you know, a couple it cuts both ways. Some players really like the fact that you come back and you're like, do you still need the rat tails? And they're like, that was my grandfather. He died ages ago. Like, who are you? Uh, but at the same time, we want the story to be accessible. So there's a balancing act there between throwing too much at the player at the same time and not enough and making it bash again with the with the simulation aspects. Because if we're doing our job really well, the player doesn't know the difference between the the truly narrative content and the simulation content. And so giving them a good set of pacing. And one of the things we did a lot during early access was shore up the, the notifications, the logging, uh, the scheduling and the deadline knowledge for the player. So they have kind of a place to go and say, okay, D-Ravesh like needs this in two years. Like I'm not, I'm not going to chase this rumor of an artifact find in this distant land because I know I only have two years 
So there's there's a lot of challenges there in terms of, you know, we're pulled in different directions. But that's good. I mean, for a player, I think that sounds great. Like, oh, I was going to do this one thing, but then I got distracted by this other thing. And then the other thing just doesn't matter anymore. I think that's great. I wish, like, more games did that sort of thing. Like, I can only think of one other developer. Uh, have you ever heard of Soldak uh, Games? It's um, Din's Curse and Drox Operative and Depths of Peril and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Familiar. Yeah. yeah, they do the same thing where, like, oh, there's a, there's a guy on level 12 of this dungeon. If you don't kill him soon, he's going to become, like, the ruler of the dungeon and attack your town. So you got to get to it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you have like a very finite amount of time before uh-huh. he levels up and becomes a chief baddie. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I think that kind of stuff is great because it's like, I mean, you don't want a game to mirror life, but at the same time, you want it to feel fluid. You want it to feel like I have to, I have to make these choices that matter most. You know? And it's a trade-off, right? Because there's – there. You know, we we esteem developers, especially in early access. You live and die by your reviews. Oh my and god! And there are players. There are players who love this. They love that baddie on level twelve and the timelines and the realism of it and the fact that it feels sort of like real life. And then there's people that say this is supposed to be a game. I don't want to deal with consequences. I don't want to be on a timetable, you know, arbitrarily dictated to me by some developer. I want to just play the game the way I want to play it. So it's it's a tough it's a tough balancing act to try and provide you know a bit of both. Yeah, I guess it's the it's the tug of war between do you want all the events to be triggered by the player or do you want things to happen naturally and then if the player happens to be in the right place at the right time, then they have an opportunity. Yep. It it's the it a balancing act is a good way to put it. And our solution has sort of been to try and walk that tightrope and provide the player notifications and information so that they they at least have a chance to say, I'm actively making a decision to ignore that. Like, I know it, it's going to happen in a year. I know I've got a firm deadline to go, you know, I can visit this court within this cycle and participate, or I can, you know, say whatever, I'm not interested. Um, so it's been, you know, it's been a learning experience. I think we've we've had some missteps along the way, and that's why we went into early access because we really didn't know, you know, a hundred percent. We didn't have, you know, a crystal ball that told us like this is the right decision for for the average Steam player in terms of pacing. And we've made a lot of adjustments. I think we've probably adjusted almost a hundred percent of the story timelines up or down. Um, based on player feedback and metrics. Yep. And some of it's like people will say, this is too fast. You know, you'll hear this very vocal Steam forum feedback. This is too fast. And you'll look at the metrics and you say, you know, 84% of the players are hitting it like well before the deadline. Is it too fast? Or is this like a, is this another issue? Like these people are not, they're not getting a particular part of the story you know, they're not getting it. The dialogue isn't making it clear or are they just like an angry, you know, vocal minority or whatever. So well, I guess you could, you could give them like a time scale slider or something. You know, if you, 
just like a multiplier, right? Like, okay, everything is how though? Is how would two you times give, longer? How would you give it to that that one player though? I mean, if everyone, yeah. if, if the majority of players are hitting it when they're supposed to be hitting it, like, right? But I'm but I'm saying like, let's say I'm a little slower paced of a player, or we've, um, we've talked yeah. about. But then you do something else. Option. Yeah, but then you do yeah, something else that takes more time, and do that other thing another time, maybe, or don't do it at all. That's the thing about this game. <laughs> Yeah. We've talked we've talked about that, and that's actually something that was, I think, suggested uh, mm-hmm. by some players as well. I think we just sort of missed that opportunity. And when Andrew, when I tried to convince Andrew it was viable, he showed me this diagram and was like, "You would have to change everything. <laughs> Every arrow and line and pin means. would have to move, and it would be so." You, I think that may be something the board. that we. <laughs> That the next game we make, we very well may make a like world pacing difficulty oh. option, so you can set it to like a hundred and ten percent of default. Or if you wanted to just throw stuff at you like a cannon, you set it to fifty percent, and it's just like drinking from a fire hose. And I get that there's like there's you know there's different players that have set it on both sides. As we expanded the duration of everything, there are players who have said. Now it feels too slow. I don't feel this overwhelming sense of urgency like I'm being crushed by the like merciless march of time. So I think there is there's people on both sides of it. Um and finding one balance has been tricky. I think maybe the next time we do it, we will make it a, a configurability aspect. But that would mean I think that would you just mean on it from the get go. Because if yeah. you don't have it at the beginning, then it's going to throw everything off. Yeah, it's it's too late now. The ship has sailed, unfortunately. So next game, maybe. Now I wanted to ask something about trading because I, I I love trading in games like this. I'm always a believer. Always have something in your hold to sell. That's what I that's what I always believe. It's a good strategy, my man, especially in this game. <laughs> yeah, especially yep. in this game. But I, I wanted to know: is there any way to see? This is a very specific question. Is there any way to see prices for systems I haven't visited? Like, can I buy a thing? Or do I have to actually go there? Not yet. Ah. It's on the list, though. Absolutely part of the the plan. To allow uh, contacts that are well-connected and have friends on foreign lands can provide you with visited information. Oh, very nice. Very nice. It is something we're working on. Because I'm like, I found this great price on food. I want to sell it somewhere. Three planets so far. No one wants it. It's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah, is it. Is there a way on uh, like on the map to highlight, you know, it's like, hey, I have this in the hold. I want to get rid of it. And and I know Ooh, what the idea. prices are, but do I have to click around to look at what the prices yeah. are in the markets? Or is there a chart? Or because I'm not that far in, so I'm just kind of asking blind. Or is uh, I'm I'm a big fan of heat maps, right? So it, it's just like, hey, I've got this this product selected, and then I sh- I say show me on the map, and it'll show like red or green based on like it's you know buy low, sell high kind of thing. Yep, definitely on the list uh, for a nice. feature in the hours to filter by. Uh, Sale price and demand level for oh, for different goods. You're making me okay. so happy. That, I'm fanning myself. Seriously, this well, is I, so. I exciting. would like to see that that same map system as a political map, as a heat map, right? Because it's like I, I look at the map. Because the whole time we've been talking here, I've all I've been doing is playing with the map because I'm I'm just fascinated with it. 
Uh, it's a great very map. Rarely, it's a great yeah, very rarely map. does a game do a map with this much info. And then oh. you drill down, right? Like, oh, well, you know, uh, Prince Fan is here and I can click on that. And then I can be like, uh, you know, show, show me his known details. Right. And then it's like the whole crusader Kings list of, of everything about this guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. It's, you know, it's wonderful. Seriously. Yeah. Love that. But the, but the thing, the thing that I wish that I could do, and, and like I was talking before about like, can I ask this guy, like, who are your friends and enemies? Right. Well, since I can't do that right now, um, if I could go to the map while I'm in this system, and then it would show me like friends and enemies, like, okay, I can turn on like a political heat map. And it's like the people that are more green, he's more friendly with right now. Oh, I mean like a line connecting darker. the systems or not even a line. Just, just like you can just put a ring around the system even. Oh, of, like, I see. Okay. That planet's got a red ring around it. He doesn't like those people. So you click the guy so, and then you click like friendly and it would highlight which systems have friendly contacts. You click unfriendly is highlight systems. Yeah. Cause it, cause if oh. I'm looking at a, if I'm looking at a, like a grid of information and it just lists like the flags, right. And it's like, this flag doesn't like that flag. Okay. But that doesn't give me spatial awareness when I look at the map. Cause then I got to eyeball around and look at, well, where are these flags? Right. So or if I could pick a political faction and and say, okay, where what are all the worlds that are allied to this guy? And then it would be like all the worlds with that flag on it would light up kind of thing. So it's kind of like friends, enemies, allies. Like political instead of just a star map. I don't know. I'm just I'm just thinking like to to yeah, we love my, your map. My attention span, yeah. like how how could I make this explain it to me like I'm an idiot, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it, it, it's a great suggestion, and we've had some discussion about trying to do a visualization of like a maybe a more standard kind of that you've seen in other games, like a contact tree where you'd see their face is a circle and there'd be arrows pointing to their immediate connections with friend and enemy. Oh, but I yeah. see what you're saying that putting it well, overlaying it on the map gives you right. a different level of awareness. That's maybe better than just trying to take it out of the map. So that's really cool. Yeah. To, to see it on the map because, uh, because then it's like, where am I going to fly next? Cause right? yeah, the map and is then such I look an on amazing... the map and it's like, Oh, clearly. Cause it's just the way, the way my brain works as a visual thinker is, is it's just like, I need a, I need a sketch of like what what's the landscape here. Okay, well I know the guys up in the northeast corner of the map are this faction. And they don't like this guy because they all turned red whenever I clicked on that planet. So, you know, I, I can immediately identify like okay, there's tension between whatever. And, 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 and we're not saying this because we want this to become a map focused game. We're just saying this because we love the map. No, and- I do want it to be a map focused <laughs> game. <laughs> You want it to be like Star uh, Star Gemini. Uh, I want it. I want Gemini. it to turn into Railroad Tycoon in space. You want it to be about. like Starport Gemini Warlords, where you play everything on the map. Like you don't even fly your ship around; you just do everything on the map. You know, Warlords is an interesting game for that. I uh, the only problem that I have with Warlords is a control problem because the the frigates are a little too zippy. That's and what I'm saying. You, you just do everything fighting. from the map. That's you can do that. Yeah, that that's game. that's kind of how until you until you scale up to like the bigger cap ships that I find a little more controllable. But yeah, which game? Um, Starpoint Gemini Warlords. Hmm. Yeah, ba- basically, really, that- really fascinating. They're finally done with it after what, like fifty DLCs? Uh, like yeah, they just put out the last, was, yeah. the last DLC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But I, I do not regret any of them. I bought Mm-mm. them all. No, nope. no, that game is great. It always it adds something amazing to, you know, because there's like the one DLC. It's like, oh, now you get to play as aliens, and your goal is to just murder everybody. Yeah, it's great. You can play as pirates, and and yeah. the only way you can add to your fleet is by capturing ships, boarding. Yeah, basically, it's and like you can do a lot of boarding. Yeah, basically, it's someone took Freelancer and a 4X game and mixed them together. That's basically what that is, and yeah. it's. Really impressive, and you can play the entire thing from the map if you want to. I don't know why you yeah, would, the, but you and can. The combat, the combat that I like when you get a little bit of a larger ship and you don't end up like just going in circles around each other really fast. Um, but the bigger ships that are a little more ponderous, right? Then I feel like I'm playing Starfleet battles, mm. which is beautiful. Just do right? fire that's, well. That's, yeah, you know, yeah, I, 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 did, I do. Really gorgeous. Yeah, I never, I never actually control the weapons. I just maneuver. Well, what, I'm sorry. It's what, beautiful. Oh, it's it's a it's very beautiful. It's a very pretty game. It's a very pretty game. <laughs> Do you guys play uh, gratuitous space battles? Oh yes. yeah, we love those games. We had uh, the developer of uh, that on eight when the yeah. second one came out, like what, three, four years ago. Yeah, those games are fantastic. Those games are great. Some of my favorites. Yeah, I wish we could get Klifsky back on again too. He, he, he hasn't, hasn't had a he hasn't done for a while. He doesn't has done a space game since uh, Gratuitous Space Battles too. So it's like, yeah, we did that uh, that automotive factory thing, and I never really heard how that turned out for him. I mean, Produ- it's like the game pr- turned out production right. line, uh, production line. Yeah, yeah, I think it's still in early access, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay, yeah, I, I really like that game though. That's that's uh, pretty. I like. Uh, I like production line. I like factory IO. I think they share a lot of mathematical ability. I couldn't get yeah, into factory played- IO. I couldn't do it. It broke I, me. I, I tried, but there's there's it a level of me. complexity that once <laughs> I reach it, my brain ejects, and it's just like, oh, God. So if I looked at the map, and that that is a game about the map. That's <laughs> that's for sure. Um, did, yes, did, you see, did you see the 3D version of that, that some guys are making, it looks exactly like Factorio. Or Factorio. Oh, I know what you're talking and, about. I don't remember but, the name. But of it's it. like it's fully 3D in Unity, and it's like you can ride around on the trains and stuff. And I was just like, <laughs> "Wow, I can't even believe that that's going to happen." So, yeah, I'm I'm waiting for that. Um, but the Infinifactory is a good one because that's kind of a puzzle game that's uh, a little downscaled from that. But it's it's a thing uh, where you have to build things for your alien overlords, and uh, it's kind of a neat little story in it. But it's but it's very much a puzzle game about conveyor belts and stuff, and assembly order of things. Like you you have to build a rocket. Well, you have to make sure the stuff gets built, but not just that, but it all actually hits the assembly point in the right order, so that when it falls, it stacks. You know, like you got to get oh. the nose cone. That, that game you were thinking of, Jim, is called Satisfactory. Ah, uh, yes. Thank That's you, one. Low Observable Goat, on Twitch. For that. Thank you for that name. I'm going to register that domain. It's right actually now. a great name for a for a for a logistics game like that. That is a fantastic name. For a no, I meant Low Observables. Low Observable Goat. It's got stealth paint on the goat. <laughs> Uh, but guys, yeah, there was we, another oh. there was another game like that had a lot of these like combinatorial puzzles. I can't remember what it was, but it, it's really pretty. 
trying to find it in my Steam library. It's like all levers and knobs pushing colored discs together. It reminded me a lot of Factro. So many cool games on Steam. It's just amazing. Like I think Steam has really, over the last eight or so years, just has become incredible. Like just the number of games on there made by really talented developers is just wild. Have you guys been doing? Have you guys been doing in that regard in terms of visibility and whatnot? Um, we are the front page of Steam uh, for the first time ever. uh, Ooh, congratulations! Was really. Yeah, it was really a proud moment. Like I took screenshots and I haven't printed them out and put them on up on my wall, but it was brief. We were up there for a couple hours, um, but it was still it was just it was really fun. We've been we've been on Steam since Greenlight was was a thing, and to finally have a game that you know Steam felt like uh, served a, a few hours on the front page was just it was really. It was really fun. Yeah, a few hours—that's um, like a miracle, right? It's like you. Uh, well, they've they've toned it down now. It used to be like I got my fifteen seconds front page. Zoop! Oh, we're gone. Yeah, so hours it has so much to do with your your algorithm now. So for most players that logged in, they know a lot about you, and they're picking what shows up. But we had people spotting it who were locked, like on incognito browsers going to Steam unlogged in and you can oh, still wow. see us in the featured list so it was confirmed real thing it wasn't just like because I, I opened steam and was like there it is you know you're like freaking out it wasn't like a personalization like, oh, yeah, thing but i made that game so yeah. of course they, they think oh I'm- so so steam kind of like analyzes your tendencies and yeah. that would explain why i get a wall of hentai yeah they they, uh, <laughs> they they kind of do a google thing where your results are kind of personalized to your previous actions, so and what you yeah, own what I mean, you- we have to now that there's uh, thirteen hundred games on sale this week. They've got to you know they can only so- show you twenty, and they want and, you to buy some of them. So. And two hundred come out every day, and oh yeah. So yep. so that makes me wonder: when are you guys porting this to Switch? Because Switch is the <laughs> platform. Yeah, you have to you have to, to get past the Nintendo heavies. Everyone's going to Switch now. To get. It's a good question. Well, no, not everyone. It's only a the lot successful. of people. A lot of people. Like, yeah, but you can't you can't just get your asset flip trash over there. No, it's but, like you have to actually some quality. Somebody I, is making well, I really hate eyeball to, I, decisions. I, I hate to use this game as an example. Orbital Racer did not great on PC, which is really sad because it's a great game. But it's now on Switch, and it's better on Switch. It has multiplayer. On well, Switch. And I'm really mad about that. <laughs> yeah, I think right now we're focused on our Kickstarter goals, which is getting it out to the iPads and the tablets and the phones and stuff. And then getting through, like I said, fighter craft and orbital exploration. After that, I think we're going to kind of take a step back and think about what should our next step be. Should we look at porting to something like the Switch? Where can we find the best section? Um, because Andrew and I both want to have a bigger budget for our game, and that means selling copies of our current game. So if if Nintendo and the stars align and they feel like we would be a good fit for their platform, I think we would potentially move that direction. But we're really 
focused right now on making sure that we don't anger our Kickstarter backers because we will not back us on our next Kickstarter. So of course, uh, you don't yeah. have to answer this, but is would you say this is your best selling game? Yes. I mean, yes. I think percent positive at the at the moment. By the way, yeah. Yes, it's, uh, it's not our best rated game. Um, I think Battle Force is probably ninety five percent positive. Um, but we have more reviews here. Like, if you look at Battle Force, our peak concurrent players ever, and you can see this team charts. But our peak concurrent players was ninety eight players at one time, and we've had a thousand one hundred and eleven players peak concurrent. Uh, on Star Traders Frontier, so a big, a big improvement for us in terms of, uh, you know, engagement with the community. When you look at Steam, like it's very exciting for us. I feel like because 1,100 users, well, for us, is a huge number and sounds crazy. When you look at something like Frostpunk or one of these other games that gets on the page, there are like 16,000, 18,000 concurrent users. So I think we've got a lot to improve, um, but this has definitely been our most successful game. Uh, early access went a lot better than we had expected, and then our launch um, generated a, a fair bit of buzz. And like I said, we got uh, a little bit on the front page, which, you know, I don't know how much that actually resulted in uh, people buying the game, but as a more you know morale victory sure getting the trait the trait mutation for the tracy brothers crew of like fearless and brave <laughs> uh you know i think i think that really helped uh and, and sometimes when you're working as a solo developer or a tiny team sometimes validation from the market partner from steam just that they they noticed your game and they put it on the front page even if it was just an algorithm you feel like Holy shit! Like, sorry. Wow, we made it. I mean, there. It's fine. We're we're trying. We we still we do curse around here. It's fine. I'm trying to curse less. I'm using the curse words from the Good Place TV show. Um, it's a good strategy. So I'm trying to replace that with shirt, and uh, it's actually slowly working. <laughs> but no, we we honestly we couldn't be happier that the game is so successful because. I've enjoyed every one of your games I played, even though Templar Battle Force kicked my butt so bad. That game, you, that is a hard game, you guys. That is a hard game. <laughs> they come at you from every direction. Those they, darn aliens. They do, but it's such a good game. They make it, those beautiful little splats. That's the best part. They come from all directions, where you can paint the floor with their <laughs> with their gooey. So I guess the road to riches is. Uh, like when do you put in the battle royale mode? Oh god! <laughs> in the future, all yes. games will be Fortnite, Dark Souls. I'll 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 tell you a little. Future. I'll tell you a little story. There's a game called Gene Shift, which is this kind of top-down GTA two-looking single multiplayer, really fun shooter game. And someone joked about adding a battle royale mode to it, and so the developer went to Reddit and said, "Hey, do you guys want this?" And like 2,000 upvotes for yes. <laughs> so he's making one. And each round is like 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing because that game, even in co-op, is just a comedy generator. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, it'll be a good time. So Battle Royale is finding its way into the strangest places. <laughs> is Gene Shift yeah. like 
Does it have mutant powers and flamethrowers and stuff? Yes. Cars? Yes. Yeah, yes. That's the one. Yes. That's the one. You can, like, hit, you can like do a power slide with a car and run yes. someone over. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. Like, yes. Yeah, that game's fantastic. That game is so we're playing it Thursday. We're uh we're t- we're gonna do uh we do a uh Thursday multiplayer game stream and that's this week's game. So that's what made me think of it. Uh, um, when is it on Thursday? At eight thirty? Uh yeah, same time as this. Uh, if you'd like Sweet, to join cool, us, yeah. you're more than welcome to join us if you'd like. Yes, low observable go to is Gene G E N E Shift. One word, Gene Shift. Uh, I'll put I'll post a link. Hang on. But yeah, uh, I'm in, I'm in their Discord. I'm trying to get the developer to join us so he could like actually um, take us on a tour. I'm quite impressed actually that you guys got up to a thousand and something simultaneous users because there's some games that come out. Like I'll, I'll check Steam stats before I buy something, especially if it's if it's like multiplayer, you know, where you're dependent on other players because other players are the content. And oh, then yeah. you look at that, and it's like this game's awesome. This this you know, and then there's like five people, and they and but I you know it's like well okay, there's only five right now, but what's their max ever? And it's like oh twenty, uh, and and it's like God, what can I? Because there there was a game, and they've since taken it off steam and I, I couldn't remember the name of it and I can't find it. I hunted for hours for this thing one night because it was just like, I need to see how that thing's doing. What the heck was the name of that? And, and it was a, it was a, a team based, not really a battle Royale thing, but it was a battlefield deal thing. And it looked gorgeous. Right. I mean, it, it was like really not like triple a, but for an indie game, it was really good production values, right? This was no asset flip and no Minecraft looking thing. And uh, there's a Milsim group that I play with. And I was just like, man, if I could talk to these devs and get keys enough to get these dudes that, that play Arma into their game, then it would look like, well, Hey man, there's like, there's 20, 30 simultaneous users. You're going to get sales because if people look at that and they don't see any simultaneous users, they're like, no, I'm, you know, nine bucks. I'll never find anybody to play it with. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, un- unfortunately gone now, but, but there's a lot of games out there that look really good and, and they're fun. And then you look at, uh, at simultaneous users or whatever, and there's like five, 10 people. And I, and I think, man, they must be doing really pitiful numbers for, for something that, that is not just like a quick buck kind of project. It's something, you know, somebody put a couple years into this thing. And then for whatever reason, it just didn't get traction. And I think it's just too much in the market right now. So you guys, if you got a thousand people, you're, you're top of the pile of indie stuff. I right mean, now. we, we touched a thousand. That's our peak, you know, all time. But I definitely feel like what you're saying. I feel for games that launch like, uh, islands of nine was a battle Royale that launched in July, you know, seemed to have a lot of promise, um, you know, had 7,000 users or something peak and, you know, is averaging in the hundreds right now. And I think it takes 80 users to make a match. Ooh, so yeah, it's so. really hard. Like, multiplayer games are very scary. Uh, I think player games have an advantage. Like, Templar Battle Force, if people look at the Steam charts, they're like, oh, look, like, 14 people are playing, but I don't have to play with those people. I yeah. can you know, I can go blast aliens whether or not there's people online or not. Yeah, to me, the the sweet spot is bring a friend, right? It's like mm-hmm. it, let's let's say the one game that'll never have it, Skyrim. If I could play Skyrim 
with during a friend mode. So it's just like one of these guys can just log into my Skyrim game and walk around with me. They don't, they don't get any part of the story or whatever, but they can be my companion character, right? Like the, the Lydia chick that runs around with you, just let them run her. That's it. That's all we need to do. And that would be beautiful. You know, it, because they, a lot of these games like Fallout 4, they put all this base building stuff in there. And I can construct, I've seen YouTube videos of people that have done insane stuff. And you can't share that with anybody. None of your friends can walk around in it. Um, yeah. So to me, that's the sweet spot is don't make it dependent on multiplayer. Because a lot of people are scared. AI is hard. Yeah. You know, that's probably the yeah. hardest thing. Um, you know, it's like you, you can get bullets moving around on the screen. Okay. And then next next thing is, can you get the computer to play your game? Well, that's a whole nother level of challenge. So at, at that point, well, it's like, well, we'll let other people be the content, right? And we'll just put in good net code and we're done. Um, but yeah, then you run into that problem because other people are the content. So there better be other people. Um, but it, but again, congratulations on, on actually having that many simultaneous people in yeah, the wild out great. there. Cause, cause if you got, if you peaked at a thousand, that tells me there's, I don't know, tens of thousands that are out there. Right. Cause you're not going to get everybody all at once. So, so you got some good numbers going. Hey, today's peak. Yeah, I t- think, sorry, good. I think the other thing is like the launch brought a lot of people back that had bought the game during early access. I think a thousand, if you did like, back of the napkin math and you were like they must have sold x probably be overestimating it because the launch brought people who were like oh yeah this game in january and it was kind of it was kind of buggy what's going on with it back on launch day and i think that helped us get on the the steam page is that so many people installed it or whatever yeah Um, and it it honestly it sounds like the launch was not like the game's done launches is just like okay now now it's like acceptable stable and we were going to put a whole lot more in this because it's like we've fulfilled the basic game now we're going to go down the stretch goals yeah we try to we we publish a roadmap for early access which we we've never done early access before so this was a first for us but we we kind of set a, a set of goals basically and published them in a roadmap and we met the ones like I think eighty to ninety percent of them and decided that we were ready to transition into full time. And now we publish a new roadmap that has like even crazier, bigger goals. And we're just going to, you know, march along that. So yeah, for us, it's definitely not a done thing so much as this game has reached a, a point where we're, you know, there's a level of scrutiny that early access games get around, Mm. right? There's, there were screens that were the first UI or second iteration UI when we published into early access and we just had to tell people we're going to fix those, but they were all fixed and we had delivered on a big set of features and we were yeah. ready to go. So it was better than we anything had- I, ever, I ever did. My UIs look like a 2600 game. So <laughs> you're good. We did uh, a private alpha and we knew at the end of the private alpha after like months or something that we really needed more data. A lot of going into early access for us was, it was critical that we get player data from people that had the game. We love the alpha testers, but they've been playing it for months, and there is a certain there's a certain lat like their 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 value not as fans or as members of the community, but as new players exhibiting new player behaviors really starts to diminish. Mm. You know, if you've played a game 
for 60 hours in the alpha and I give you a new build, you're going to play it like somebody with 60 hours. It's very hard for you to be like, I'm going to look at the fresh eyes. So one of the things that early access gave us was, like Andrew said, there's some UIs and there were some UIs that looked good, but we didn't know how they were going to perform when new players hit them. Some mm. of them worked really well. Some of them we learned from the metrics like, yeah, no one's even seeing this button, dude. That No one's clicking it. Like, no one is clicking it. So we got to we gotta figure out a different way to present that information because it's not, it's not being used as it is. So that was important for early access was us getting some new new eyeballs on the game. And when we got through kind of that roadmap and we were able to apply the thing learned from early access, we again said we need, you know, we need a new influx of people. We need, you know, people to take a look at this and see like where we want to go with the balance and the content uh, mm. in the future. We analyzed, you know, that month and we've published a roadmap kind of based on that. Yeah. And you guys have definitely come a long way on the design language and the UI. Because, like, like I said, the whole show I've been screwing around with the map and the, you know, just the planets uh, screen and stuff. Um, so your your true win is everything that is a button looks like a button, and things that have notification have like those little bouncing notification things. Which is, uh, I I think in in this I'm seeing a lot of lessons learned from mobile development, actually, and, and just like dealing with a smartphone. Because, you know, you have the, the icons and then, well, hey, my thing's got a little widget on it. That means there's notifications there, right? And that's kind of a universal language to everybody now. Um, yep. So so it's it's kind of like you guys have spent some time on the phones and you own phones. So you're putting that into the game. So it's a lot more natural to people. And, you know, like the, the only thing on the screen here that doesn't look like a button is actually the NPC over there. But if I mouse over that, I get a tooltip and I know, yeah, I can click on that. So, yes, but, thank but you everything for all else those tooltips, by the way. Thank you for all the yeah, tooltips. Yeah, oh God, so many tooltips. Love, love, love tooltips. Thank you yeah, so and it's, much. And it's like the, the main menu thing, the toggle tasks. It, it, not only there's a tooltip on it, but the thing is shaped like a double up arrow, which, you know, that's, that's like... Uh, this is going to expand upwards. So it's kind of like the hamburger menu, but this is going to mm-hmm. jump up into something more. Um, yeah. All that stuff is successful. And, and I would say other developers that are out there that are wondering, like, what do I do with a UI? Look at this UI. Yeah. Because it's a great it's, UI. It's, it's getting it. It's a great um, UI. Yeah. And, and it, and it wasn't bad before, but it is very much refined now. So, so, I'm, so- I'm, I'm proud of you. On, so, on this. I, so I do thank have, you, sir. I do have one final question that's been on my mind. You say you're coming to mobile devices. Will there be any kind of sync between my fi- save file on a PC and a save file on a phone so I can play the same game? Probably not, but I'm just asking. Well, the, the save games are compatible. Um, <gasps> we do it today in testing. So I think it's sort of like where FTL was when it first came out in that like, hey, the developers done all the hard lifting to make sure that the save games are compatible. Uh, I think when it launches, we will probably be looking more at like Steam Cloud and Google Cloud uh, kind of as silos mm-hmm. uh, and then figuring out how to provide a third party like a Dropbox or a, you know, uh, a hosted cloud facility because we know that we've we've done the lifting to make sure this things are compatible um, oh, oh. but i don't think it will come out at launch because we really know that i think a lot of our users are gonna 
play the, the first time on mobile and won't have Steam games. Um, but it is something that we think a lot because the people that really love the game will say, "Well, I want to like I want to caption on my phone so I can continue my you know bloody tirade of piracy across the across the galaxy during my commute on the train." And I know that. It, a niche, a niche that Star Traders RPG fit into was like, I love to play this game while I'm on my on mm-hmm. the train, yeah, or on so, the toilet, or definitely on the toilet. A lot of time, wherever, wherever you're, wherever you're stuck sitting, yeah, yeah, a lot of time on the can, <laughs> trading back and forth. <laughs> so yeah, that would be that, that's you're my little wish. The universe from the throne, that's Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Well, gentlemen, I would love... That, that could be okay. the pitch for the mobile version. It's just a, a picture of a space toilet. It's um, the universe from your throne. Well, gentlemen... I'll, I, throw, I'll throw that yeah. at the marketing team, see what they say. Even with our uh, internet connection, I'd like issues. I'd like to thank you for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us again. It has been just a, a pleasure having you back on. Uh, because I, I feel like yours is one of the most successful early access periods I've ever seen. And so it was really great to hear your perspective as to how it went and what you did right and and all that. Was really I think great. closing to, to other developers, I would say do a bunch of updates, respond to every Steam forum thread. That's I've seen other games, like I won't name names, but the developers aren't on the Steam forum. and That doesn't make sense to makes, me. That makes doesn't no, make any sense. That doesn't make any well, sense. Then, if you're on Steam, well, you need to be on the forums. That's, well, and the, and the worst is, you know, I, I wish actually Steam could have, for early access games, they should have like a pulse on there where it's like a little graph and it shows here's how many updates it's been. It's been this hmm. long since the last update because hmm. you can tell that because you look at the thing. But it's like this is like their that. frequency of updates. You guys would right? be amazing at that. I would love if, and if they, they would have a chart like most active developers, you know, on the front page. I think I think could pitch this to Valve. They may, they may love this idea. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely because how many times have you? It's like, oh, this game looks kind of neat, and then you click on discussions because you're not dumb, and and then it's like five threads in there. Like, is this game dead? You know, haven't heard from yeah. the developers. Oh my god, months, and that. it's like, oh no. What I would love is that for early access titles, you're not leaving a review. You're leaving your opinion, but it's not a review because it's not done. How can you review something that's not done? Yeah. I well, I, I think my advice to devs that like if you don't want to get in there and get engaged in like a, a big discussion about what you're putting in, how things are going, just drop a damn screenshot. You know, just be like, "Hey, we're still working on it. Here's here's Visual Studio. It's wide open. Look, code. We're making it. Here, here's a new yeah. thing that we did, it's and a- and just throw that up because it's a it's an update. We saw it. You you still log into Steam, and we're not going to start those as this game dead threads. So because that will kill your game. It's because your sales stop. Yeah. It's infuriating when developers don't even do that. Like there was a game I was really interested in. It hadn't been updated for like a year. So I posted in the Steam forum, is this game dead? And the guy and the developer in like a week came back, Oh, we've been working on our second game. Um, this one's not done. Oh, I know what game that is. This one's not I done, know, you guys. Know. So I unwishlisted it. I, I so rarely do that, but it's like, Aww. what are you doing? And, and and their second game, they're working on a battle royale, and it's like, no, uh, don't do it. Oh, they are. I don't know if we're thinking yeah. of the same developer. I think it, uh, but okay, 
we'll 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 convert we'll converse offline to find out if it's the same person. I don't want to say online on uh, live, but but yeah, you guys. Well, we really been... we really appreciate you guys invite us back. It was it was oh, really fun. Absolutely, you know, you said a lot of nice stuff about us and gave us additional ideas on on like some visualizations. I think it's really exciting. So it's been a productive conversation from our end, and we really appreciate the invitation and yeah, again, we, we appreciate yeah. your presence if you just want to yeah. hang out come back for no reason at all yeah it doesn't matter uh and again like, we apologize making a game come back for Play a little internet. gene shift maybe oh, oh yeah totally. oh yeah, god that would be great oh that'd be great we're, we're i show you my mini gun <laughs> i love the nail as gun. many updates as you guys do i don't know how you find time to play stuff on have the you guys side, seen the nail gun in that game in gene shift it's amazing no nail gun. Oh, oh, it just That's it it. You can't reload it. It's a one. It's you have seventy five nails, so you have to be careful where you shoot it. But it like lays waste to everything. It's amazing. Is the guy who like nailed it? Uh, they could have uh, got like John uh, yeah, uh, Say it every time. Say it every time. And and they added bots recently, and the bots have great names. Like there was a bot the other day I saw called Anico Gardens. Because they took out the bot, That's so it's Anico. Yeah, I thought that was really great. <laughs> wow, I can start drinking now. That's so, so. <laughs> so, folks, we're playing Gene Shift on Thursday um, at our usual time. If we're lucky, the developer is in Australia, but he said he could come on if he's awake. Uh, and he said he's awake at all times of the day. So if we're lucky... <laughs> We'll get the developer on with us if we're lucky. No promises, but and if we're super lucky, we'll get the developer and these guys. Oh God! But Gene and then Shift we'll is just a, step back and let them shoot it out. Gene Shift is some of the ten best dollars you can spend on a game. Seriously, it's so good, and the bots are it amazing. It is so good, and and yeah, it's so good. Even these developers are selling another game that isn't theirs, saying it's so good. That should tell you something. Uh, so that's Thursday. Next Tuesday, we're doing an early morning show, 6 a.m. Pacific time, because our guest, um, the developer of Beyond the Stars, is, I believe, in Spain. So they are nine hours ahead. So uh, we're going to be doing an early morning show next week to talk Beyond the Stars. That'll be a lot of fun. That game looks fantastic. Um, so is that if- by Arkin? Arkin Games, or is it somebody else? God, uh, between the Stars. Did I say uh, Between the Stars? Did I say it right? God damn it. <laughs> yeah, but Between the Stars, I've been between playing its, uh, the stars. its demo, and it's really good. Yeah, really, I, really good. I need to play the demo after this. Uh, but uh, yeah, so that's what we're doing next week. It's another early morning show. Hopefully we can be awake enough for it. It's hard. Those early morning shows are hard, you guys. Um, you just gave me a great idea for a game title, because Between the Stars, you could call the game Star Jam, and it's about uh, like that toe jam between the stars. Uh, it'd, be the, it'd be a sports... Yeah. It'd be By a the way, space I just, I just linked uh, Humble Bundle uh, has Gene Shift at 25% off. So. Oh, does it? Yes, it does. Oh, damn. Amazing. That's a bargain The best $7 you can spend. Oh, my God. It's it's so worth it, you guys. Even if you just if play the single if you're player monthly, you get another ten percent. Yeah, so. even if you're just playing single player, it is just a fun time. But it's so much more fun with people. I've never heard Spaz laugh harder than when we were playing that game. 
when you did, you, you did some kind of grenade thing where you killed a bunch of guys with one grenade. It was amazing. And, like, you had a Joker laugh going. It was that maniacal. It was great. It was so great. Chain reaction of a grenade destroying a whole bunch of cars. And the chain uh, reaction killed, yeah, a whole bunch of guys in one it was, shot. It was hilarious. Uh, which is on the YouTube channel if you want to go back and find that. That's the last time we played Gene Shift. Um, so, yeah, thanks for watching, folks. We will see you on Thursday and next week. Uh, Therese Brothers, again, thank you so much. Again, the game we talked about tonight, folks, is Star Trader Frontiers. It just left early access recently. It is amazing, and you should all play it if you haven't already. It's so good. So uh, thanks for watching and listening, everyone, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Later.